What are the questions that your students carry inside of them but rarely ever discuss? Hi, I'm Lisa Hollenbach and I'm your host this week for Teach Talks, a podcast from your friends and colleagues at Teaching Channel. Today I'm chatting with the 2015 National Teacher of the Year, Shanna Peoples, as she talks about why it's important for both students and teachers to think like Socrates, to allow students to take ownership of their own learning through authentic questions, and to leverage student questions as learning experiences that develop critical thinking. Shanna taught secondary English in Amarillo, Texas for 15 years. She's currently a Doctor of Education Leadership Candidate at Harvard Graduate School of Education. Her book, Think Like Socrates, Invite Wonder, Curiosity, and Critical Thinking into the Classroom will be published by Corwin in August. For Shanna, curiosity is key, and allowing students to own their learning through creating questions is the most fundamental change a teacher can make in their teaching practice. Listen in to find out more. Shanna, thanks so much for joining us here today on Teach Talks. And uh, my first question for you today is, Socrates was no doubt the ancient world's teaching superstar. And recently you've been asking teachers to teach like Socrates. Can you talk a little more about what exactly that means? Sure, Lisa, and, and thanks for inviting me on. Um, I love to talk about this. And really, I, I would say in a nutshell, Socrates was known as somebody who loved questions and was much more into questions than he was into answers and, and really believed that in asking people questions, not only could he get smarter as a teacher, but that they, by hearing their own inquiry out loud in tandem with him, could somehow get smarter. And so the way I, I have changed that up or modified that for the classroom is to invite students to talk to me and share with me the questions that maybe they'd never told anyone else or the, the questions that they think about when they're on the bus or maybe the last things that they think about right before they fall asleep. The, those kinds of deep questions that, that we think we're the only one that thinks, um, but actually everybody's probably had them. Right. And I think that a lot of times we don't, um, we don't really engage students in those types of questions in the classroom, do we? Not typically. We usually have, I think, more of a, a convergent set of questions, which is just a fancy way of saying we ask questions that have one right answer. We don't typically ask the open-ended questions because we, uh, all of us feel this time pressure and this pressure to, you know, get the right answer, or get kids prepared for fill-in-the-blank test that's coming up. And so a lot of the times to, to ask these open-ended questions seems like you're veering way off topic and you're you're somehow wasting valuable learning time. And I, I can totally sympathize with that. That was definitely me um, for the, the first part of my teaching. Right, right. Um, but, you know, in listening to you talk about this, when, we, when I had the opportunity to watch your presentation, um, you learned an awful lot about your students when you started asking them questions. What kind of things did you learn? Well, I think the biggest thing that I learned is that they had the exact 
same kinds of questions that I did. They were they were asking the same things about concepts around justice and fairness that I still ask, that I still wonder about. Um, and I think for them, me reflecting to them, look, you know, you're not weird. In fact, you're brilliant. These are the kinds of questions that people have been asking since we could talk. I mean, these these are thousands and thousands of years old. And those questions helped me find a way to give a lens for my content. So being able to take their questions helped me know where to direct the content that I needed to teach them and made for really interesting and deeper learning experiences for them. Right. Oh, wow. Um, so when you say that it, it, you know, directed the way that you set up your class, would you actually plan your class around the concepts that came up in student questions? Um, I tried to group those questions, you know, into what there's, there's this great teacher and he is a philosophy professor and also has taught some high school classes. And his name is Jacob Needleman. And he believes that there are 11 great questions of philosophy. And, and there's something like, um, you know, uh, what happens when we die um, is, or is death the end? Um, what is love? Um, are we alone in the universe? Questions like that. And so what I noticed is that my kids' questions naturally grouped just like that. And I could sort of arrange them thematically and look at, okay, here's the content that I'm going to teach and here's some of the, the texts that I want to use and here's how they would match with those questions. And so their questions became my writing prompts or my essential questions in a unit or tweaked a little bit. They became the, the enduring understandings that I wanted them to take from the class. Wow. Wow. And I guess that was really powerful for your kids too, um, to be kind of co-creating um, the things that they would learn in your class along the way. Yeah. I mean, I think it was exciting for everybody. It, it was stuff that I didn't know the outcome to. And that was what made it very interesting for me as a teacher. And for them, I think it made them feel not only respected, um, as a learner, but it gave them that sort of academic confidence of, wait a minute, like I'm asking these same questions that like really smart people have been asking. And there's something to that because it, it really is true. We become who people say that we are. And so if we're telling you, you are an amazing, deep philosophical thinker, that's what they're going to become. Yeah, that's really powerful. And you said that you didn't know the outcome of these things. Was that frightening for you as an educator, being in front of a class of students and and not knowing where the path would lead? Oh, it you know, it, it always carried a little bit of, of risk. And I was always worried, you know, 
oh, what if something inappropriate happens? Or what if I lose control of my class? But I have to say, Lisa, that in, in 15 years of doing this, that never happened. Um, and and I think that the questions and, and, the, and the way that I constructed the class around that really showed them that I valued them intellectually and felt that they had something to contribute. And because of that, they wanted to honor their end of it. And it led them into some really deep and interesting in-class debates and um, independent research, multimedia presentations, service learning projects. I mean, it connected them to the things that allowed them to do real work in the real world. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to write this five paragraph essay for her so she'll shut up, you know, or, or worse, I'll copy it from somebody else or copy and paste it off the internet and give it to her. This was something that engaged them uh, as a curious learner themselves and and something that they didn't know the answer to either. And and Judy Willis, who is this neurologist that became a middle school teacher of all things, she said that that's a way that our brains find things irresistible. She calls it making a neurological bet. When we prime our brains with a question, we have to find out. Like it makes us crazy. It's the same impulse that actually drives things like gambling, where we we sort of ask this question, gee, I wonder what number is going to turn up, and we have to find out. It's the same, she said, with particularly um, children's brains. Once they ask the question, they have to find out and see, you know, am I right or what's next or what's the quote unquote real answer. Hmm. I think that's, there's something real powerful in that because teachers everywhere are searching for a way to make students own their learning and want to keep going and, and keep searching. And you know, this could be it, right? Like this could be a way to keep them engaged on like that, that neurological key on that level to keep them needing the answer. Um, to, to motivate them to move forward. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting way to think about it. And, you know, you're talking about debates in the classroom. And I recently had a conversation with a, a student of mine that's been graduated um, several years. And um, I actually, you might find this fun, I sent her something that I had written because she's a poet. And I had written a little piece of poetry and I think that she's brilliant. And so I wrote her a piece of po- I, I wrote a piece of poetry and sent it to her and asked her for her opinion. And mm-hmm. she said it was good. And I was, you know, I was just sharing my work with her. And she wanted to give me a little bit of critical feedback. And when she did, she was a little uncomfortable and voiced that to me. She's like, oh, my God, after all these years, I really still feel uncomfortable correcting you about anything. And, um, you know, I laughed a little because I thought it was cute. And I said to her, you know, don't feel uncomfortable because I think that the best teachers are always learners. And you should, um, as a teacher, be able to take a little bit of critical pushback from students and learn from students just like students learn from teachers. And, you know, it's inherent in our system that um, 
you know, we tell students do not question your teachers, and and I I've always believed that's that's kind of flawed. Um, did your students um, react similarly to a space that you set up where they can question your thoughts? Oh, absolutely, and and that's what I wanted them to do, um, because you know I I said things are changing all the time. The things that we were so sure of when I sat in, in classes like the ones I taught, some of those things have changed or been found to not be entirely the way that they were taught. So things do change. And, and I told them, you know, questioning is sort of the academic mindset and your fundamental movements as a learner are to look at everything I say or anybody else says and think about it and then determine what you think about it based on what you, you know, all, all of what you've collected and thought about. And that's the basic movement of scholarship is you collect what other people say and think and then you add your thinking to it and your thinking may agree with it or it may disagree with it or it may, may be mixed. And they, they could typically understand that. But I always wrote uh, and, and still do. Um, anytime I work with writers, I write in front of them and want them to see that it is a messy process. And I joined um, my writing circle groups, critique groups, and, and expected them to offer me the same sort of feedback um, that I was offering them or that they offered each other. So, yeah, I think it's kind of what Parker Palmer says about the difference between how we construct a classroom. We can either construct it where we're the center of the classroom, we the teacher, or that the learning or the question or the content is in the center and we all approach it as learners. And as the teacher, you're just the model learner. You, you are the one that they look to, to and you demonstrate your own intellectual curiosity um, and your own sort of thinking tools for approaching the topic. And, and I've always found that to be much more exciting and interesting um, for me as a teacher and certainly more engaging for students. Absolutely. I think it's a really great way to approach a classroom. And, um, you know, I, I certainly uh, would love to see more classrooms engage um, kids and make them feel good about, um, you know, questioning teachers in a way that, you know, not in a kind of gotcha kind of way, but in a way that engages them in a, in a really good dialogue about the learning that's happening. And I think that both student and teacher can grow in that exchange. Yeah, and, and and to give an example of that, because some teachers are really uncomfortable when I say that. So here's what I mean by this. I mean, I, I had a student, um, one of my favorite students, and she drove other teachers up the wall. She would ask them, why? Why? And she asked me all the time, why? And I really liked it because she helped me figure out what I was doing that was just because, and what I was doing because it was really vital and necessary in my 
my favorite <laughs> that she ever did was when I first started teaching AP English. And she said, why did you assign us this homework? Did you did you even do it? Have you even tried this homework you assigned? And she wasn't saying it in a disrespectful tone, but I can see how for some people that might find that found that way. Um, but she was absolutely right. And when I went and did that homework, looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, this was so inappropriate. And I also saw all the things I should have scaffolded, all the things I should have made sure that they knew how to do. Um, and it changed my teaching. She, she made me so much better of a teacher because I began internalizing that and asking myself, well, why are you doing this? Like, why are you having them do this? And trying that work out myself before I gave it to them. Yeah, that reminds me of a, a post I saw on uh, Jennifer Gonzalez's blog uh, called Dog Fooding. And um, I've been fascinated with that concept, really. Um, the idea of, like, why shouldn't we do our own work just to see if it, if it works the way that we conceive that it would. Um, yeah. So great. You know, I, you've said in the past that allowing students to own their learning through creating questions is the most fundamental change a teacher can make in their practice. Why do you think that? I, because uh, it, it changes the position um, of learners in the classroom. And to me, uh, it, it changes everybody into a learner. Because if I don't know exactly what's, what question a student's going to ask, it also sort of puts me um, in the position as a learner as well as the student it changes the text of your classroom. The text then becomes like authentic student inquiry. And they are, regardless of what your content level is, they are apprenticing in the thinking of whatever that discipline is. So if your kids are asking the questions in history class, they are thinking like a historian. If they are asking it in math or science, they are thinking like a scientist. For my purposes, they were thinking like a writer and thinking like a reader. And that's what I wanted them to do. And, and that was that fundamental change necessarily changed the text. It changed the, uh, the discourse in the class. It, you know, changed the conversation. Um, who owned the conversation, who had the most airtime, and it created a space where we were both building this understanding together, or I say both, the students and I were, were sort of adding to our thinking around a topic, because those 11 great questions, for, for example, is death the end? That is a huge topic in literature um, and all of the you know books in my classroom in some respect are looking at that idea of what happens to a person um, who knows as we do as human beings that we're we're gonna die like so then how should we live and the other cool thing about literature is that that question sets up is that literature fundamentally shows us that people survive. 
that whatever these things are that the stories that are happening to the people in the stories, the main character somehow survives that practice. And so as a student reading that, it's also building your own hope and resilience. So to me, that's, that's what's really cool about those kinds of questions is they just, for my particular content area, really lined up with um, the questions of literature. But they also line up with all the content areas. And that's, that's definitely the premise of the book um, that I'm working on, is that student questions are a way into your content, regardless of what level you're teaching or what content area you're teaching. Awesome. So when teachers are using questioning or or inquiry methods in the classroom, when do you think it's good to use it and how can they use it most effectively? I, you know, I think it's the, probably the best to use early in the year to collect those questions. Um, and there's a protocol, I think, that um, I think you're linking to it, um, to Larry Falazzo's, um blog, where I gave him the link to just download the, the protocol. So that's good to use early. Um, it lets you kind of know where your students are and what's on their minds. And it allows you to start framing um, your content topically by those questions. Um, So I think the beginning of the year is always good, but I mean, the beginning of a new year is good. I think you can start at any time. The beginning of a new unit um, is probably the best time for those questions. Um, And I would say it's probably best to use those when you yourself are okay with that that sort of fundamental uneasiness that comes with giving up a little bit of control. Like until you're okay with that, I would say probably don't try it. Um, I'd say, you know, do some tiny baby steps into it um, where you share a little bit of airspace with kids or or you turn over a little bit of the work to kids, but I wouldn't go from like zero to just letting them, like letting their questions drive it um, if you're not already comfortable with that. Right. So what advice would you give to our listeners who've been inspired by listening today and may want to try Socratic questions or some type of inquiry like this in their classroom tomorrow? Well, first of all, I would applaud them and say, yay, and I'm so excited, and I would love to see what their kids came up with, and it's really quite simple. You you really only need um, some index cards um, because they're easier to use, and even if they're small children, you can scribe for them their questions. And uh, an easy way I've found into getting kids to share questions with me is to ask them, if you could ask the smartest person in the world any question, what would you ask them? Would you write that down on a card for me? And collect those questions and then look at what they come up with. Now, if you're working with secondary kids, I would say present that 
as a way that they can answer anonymously. Like tell them don't put their name on it. And that way you will get better questions. If their name is tied to it, they become so self-conscious that they can't seem to get anything down um, on the card that isn't something really sort of simplistic. But if you allow anonymity, it can get really profound. All right, great. And do you have any favorite resources that could help our teachers build their inquiry toolbox? Well, you, you've linked to some of them. And um, for people who really want to dive into this, um, I think you've got my website linked. Um, and if they'll just go to the presentations tab on my website, the very first embedded presentation is Think Like Socrates. And you can just click it through. There are little arrows on it. You can just click all the way through it. At the end of that, that presentation is an annotated bibliography. And it's got tons of resources, tons of, of suggested books, and tells why I picked them and why, uh, what I think that they will work with and for. Great. Great. I'm sure they'll come in very useful to um, <laughs> those people that are, are, are really uh, kind of finding their way right now into mm-hmm. the world of questions and, and, uh, and, and implementing in their classroom. And um, soon you're going to have a book that teachers can add to that list. And so when can we expect to see your book hit the shelves? Oh, well, thank you for that. It, it should be um, out in, at either the end of July or in August. And it, I'm super excited about it. And hopefully I will um, be able to share more of that with you because it's got so many different ways of approaching this. It's, it's full of activities that you can use immediately. Um, and it, it shows how to do all of the things that we've been talking about. It breaks it down into, you know, your comfort level from, I'm just, I just want to start this out to all the way of, you know what, I want my kids to independently research and create, um, an action research service project in my community. It goes, it runs that whole continuum. Wow. And the book's title is Think Like Socrates, Invite Wonder, Mm -hmm. Curiosity, and Critical Thinking into the Classroom. Right? That's it. Well, I am, for one, very excited about that book, and I can't wait to read it. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Um, And I (laughs) am going to remember that you said that you'd like to share more of that with us, and I'm going to hold you to that. And uh, I hope you'll come back and talk with me again once the the book comes out and um, share a couple of those strategies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa. I, I, you know, like I said, I I love talking about this. And so you're very kind to invite me on to talk about basically the the center of my heart here. Well, you know, and I think that really shows. It shines through, and um, what people are passionate about is is really what speaks to the heart of the teachers that are are coming um, to hear uh, what we're talking about on Teach Talks. And um, although I would love to talk to you all evening, I know that you are one of the 
busiest teachers that I know, and you have a lot to do to get that book out there, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I will let you go, but I thank you for, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on Teach Talks this week, and um, I look forward to seeing your book and um, for to read it and to see you back here in the future. All right. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thanks.